0: Jcastnetwork.org.
1: Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I am Alyssa Gray and today we'll be learning Erevin Daf Zion, Erevin, Page 27. We're now beginning the third chapter of Erevin. The third chapter actually begins with the Mishnah toward the bottom of 26B. The Mishnah begins, "Ba'kom arvin u'mishtatfin, chutz min ha'mayim u'min hamelach. We may make an Eruv and join together in partnership, meaning join courtyards together in partnership, with everything, meaning with every type of food, except for water and salt. Rashi explains Me'arvin, we make an Eruv, as referring to both an Eruv Chatserot and an Eruv tchumin. An Eruv Chatserot is the joining together of residents of different dwellings, all of which open onto one courtyard. The point of the Eruv HaTzerot is to allow all the residents to use the courtyard on Shabbat to carry items between the various dwellings. An Eruv Tchumin is the extension of the 2,000-cubit Shabbat boundary so that a person may walk farther than that on Shabbat. The Mishnah's phrase mishtatfin, joining together in partnership, meaning joining courtyards together in partnership, refers to what is called a "shituf mavoi, the joining together of two or more courtyards that open onto a shared alleyway. By so joining, the residents whose homes open onto the various courtyards can then all use the alleyway, the mavoi, to carry items between the courtyards on Shabbat. In all cases, the establishment of the Eruv, or the Shittuf, is affected by food. Now Rashi's view that the Mishnah's phrase, "arv'in" we may make an Eruv, applies to both the Eruv Chatserot and the Eruv Tchumin is not universally accepted. Tosafot, for example, point out on the basis of discussions later in Tractate Eruvin that an Eruv Chatserot can only be affected by bread. The Rashba, Rabbi Solomon ben Abraham ibn Adret of 13th century Spain, agrees with Tosafot, as does the 14th century Provencal scholar, the Me'iri. Now for a question. Why are water and salt excluded from the foods that may be used to effect an Eruv Tchumin and a Shituf Mavui? In Yerushalmi Erevin, Rabbi Yasser says it's because water and salt don't nourish the body, and Rabbi Levi says that there is an element of curse that attaches to both of them, to water because of the great flood in the days of Noah, and to salt because of Sodom, which was destroyed by brimstone and fire, and because of which Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. There is also a type of salt the rabbis call Melach Sodomit, or Sodomite salt, a type of salt that can cause blindness. We'll pass over the Mishnah's teaching about the second tithe and go straight to what it says about establishing an Eruv for a Nazarite. Wine may be used to do this, because although the Nazarite himself is forbidden to drink wine, others can. Wine is a good food for most people, just not for him. Similarly, the Tanakama or the first Tana says that Truma, or the priests do, may be used to establish an Eruv Tchumin for a non-priestly Israelite who is forbidden to eat it, although the scholar Sumchus disagrees with that. On to the Gemara. The Gemara opens with an analysis of the Mishnah's word Bakol, with everything. The Bavli is endlessly fascinated with situations in which the Mishnah employs variations on the word Kol, everything. Here the Gemara opens with a well-known statement of Rabbi Yochanan. Amor Rabbi Yochanan, A'in Din min haklalot, va'afilu bamakom she bo'chutz. Rabbi Yochanan said, We do not learn from general statements, even in a place in which it says, except, chutz. The Gemara then asks, what specific example of general statement in what Mishnah Rabbi Yochanan was talking about? The Gemara states that Rabbi Yochanan couldn't be talking about our Mishnah because he said that we don't learn from general statements even if they contain the word except, thus implying that he had in mind a general statement that didn't include the word except. The Gemara then offers three cases that Rabbi Yochanan may have had in mind. The third case is a bit of a surprise as we'll see. The Bavli, by the way, is very enamored of the number three and often likes to structure sugyot in multiples of three. Three can also be a sign of completeness for the bodily. The third mention of an idea in a sugyah, including in a non-legal sugyah, can be a sign that there is a rabbinic consensus around that idea, while the conclusion of a cycle of three proofs in a sugyah may signal that a particular topic is drawing to a close. The first case is Mishnah Kiddushin 1.7. The Gemara correctly points out that despite Mishnah Kiddushin's general statement that women are exempt from positive time-bound commandments and obligated in positive commandments that are not bound by time, women are, in fact, obligated in the positive time-bound commandment of eating matzah on Passover, of rejoicing on a festival, and of hakel, the assemblage during Sukkot of the sabbatical year to hear the king read aloud from the Torah. In addition, the Gemara points out, women are exempt from some positive commandments that are not time-bound. For example, the commandment to procreate and the redemption of the firstborn son. Thus, Mishnah Kiddushin seven illustrates the correctness of Rabbi Yochanan's statement, we do not learn and should not learn from general statements. The second Mishnah the Gemara points to in support for Rabbi Yochanan's statement is Mishnah Zavin 5.2, as presented by either Avaye or Rabbi Yermia. To shorten the story, the Mishnah's general statement about a seat's contracting ritual impurity if a zav sits upon it is shown to be incomplete. Even parts of a saddle that are not meant to be sat upon become ritually impure if the zav sits on the saddle. Again, Rabbi Yochanan's statement of caution about general statements is proven accurate. Finally, the third case, the surprise. The Gemara says that Ravina or Rav Nachman brought our Mishnah in Erevin as proof of Rabbi Yochanan's statement. This is quite a surprise because the Gemara opened by proving, quote-unquote, that Rabbi Yochanan was not referring to our Mishnah. Yet now the Gemara shows that not only may water and salt not be used for an Eruv and a Shittu of Mavui, but truffles and mushrooms may not be used either. Thus Rabbi Yochanan's statement, cautioning us not to learn from general statements, has again been shown to be accurate. Why did the Gemara begin by proving, quote-unquote, that Rabbi Yochanan was not talking about our Mishnah, only to resort to our very Mishnah as case number three in support of Rabbi Yochanan? The answer, I suggest, lies in a critical assessment of the formation of this entire sugya on Erevin 27a. The Gemara may originally have opened with Rabbi Yochanan's statement, after which Ravina or Rav Nachman referred to our very Mishnah as proof of the statement. End of story. A nice small sugyah. At a later stage, the Bavli's editors may have wished to construct a more complex and interesting sugyah around Rabbi Yochanan's statement, especially given their broad awareness of the extent to which general statements in the Mishnah don't turn out to be accurate. They therefore interjected a question after the initial presentation of Rabbi Yochanan's statement to make us think that Rabbi Yochanan had Mishnayot other than our own in mind. The editors then quoted and discussed these Mishnayot, the case of women and time bound commandments in Mishnah Kiddushin 1 7, and then Zavin 5 8. Only then did they come back to our Mishnah to complete the cycle of three and signal that the discussion is complete. In other words, the Bavli editors may have done here on Erevin 27a what they do in many, many other contexts. They may have taken what was originally a small and rather simple sugya and stretched it out like an accordion in order to raise more arguments and create a more complex sugya. In other words, lahagdil Torah ulahadira to make the Torah great and glorious.